Hello everybody. This is our second sermon looking at the book of Philippians. Our series title is How to Follow Christ in a Challenging World. And this second passage tells us to keep perspective. We're looking at Philippians chapter 1 verses 12 to 26. To start us off, I have a question for us. In a time of trial, are you an optimist, a pessimist, or a pragmatist? In my family, you can clearly see all three of those instinctive responses. Sadly, we are going through a time of great hardship at the moment. A really difficult situation. You see, our football team is bottom of the league and the season is nearly over. In these trying times, my mother is the eternal optimist. It does not matter that there are only five games left and we need to win all five and the four teams above us need to lose all five. She believes it can happen and won't give up until it is mathematically impossible. My brother is the eternal pessimist. Even though he supports the team, he had Wickham down to get relegated from the first game of the season. He is the type of person who thinks that even if they're 1-0 up with two minutes to go, they're guaranteed to let in two late goals and lose. And then there is me. I am the pragmatist. Like my mother, I'm always looking for the positive in any given situation. But like my brother, I cannot bring myself to ignore all the evidence in front of me. Honesty is important. I look at a trial, recognise the difficulty and, and think about what is the best thing that can be brought out of it. So I look at my team and think, well, this is the highest division they have ever been in. It was always likely to be a step too far, but they've been improving all year. And if they can just keep the squad together through the summer, they have a good chance of promotion again next year. Now, of course, this is a deliberately light-hearted illustration. I know that football matters not a jot in the grand scheme of things, certainly not in comparison to the trial of the pandemic we are going through. But I wanted us to recognise these three outlooks on the world. Optimism, pessimism, pragmatism. I wonder which most accurately describes you. As the Apostle Paul writes his letter to the Philippians, there is no doubt in the fact that he is going through a great ordeal. He is in prison for his faith and awaiting trial. He really does not know whether he will be set free or sentenced to death. In the face of this challenge, Paul certainly shows an optimistic outlook. He speaks boldly of the hope he has in Christ. But it's not mindless optimism. He writes honestly to his Philippian friends about his chains and the seriousness of the possible verdict. He speaks of death with sober solemnity. In many ways, then, Paul is a pragmatist. This passage has always been one of my favourites in the whole Bible. The last time I preached on it was at my grandmother's funeral when I chose it for her. What inspires me so much is Paul's ability to step back from a really difficult situation and see the bigger picture. 
he takes the time to look beyond himself to what God is doing. And when he sees it, he takes practical steps to join in. He chooses the most effective course of action that he can to go forwards. I believe there is real wisdom in this passage to help us when we are going through times of difficulty, just like the pandemic we are currently in. Our current series on Philippians is entitled How to Follow Christ in a Challenging World. The answer that our second passage gives us is that we are to keep perspective. So how do we go about getting perspective during a difficult situation? Well, the first thing we are to do, even amongst all the discomfort of our circumstances, is to look for any small areas of progress and give thanks for them. As we have said, Paul is writing from prison. His situation is fairly bleak. What is more, Paul knows his great friends in Philippi are feeling despondent. In their young faith, they just cannot understand why God has allowed this to happen to his great messenger Paul. So as Paul writes to them, he is conscious of the need to lift their spirits. To do this in the opening to our passage, verses 12 to 19, Paul gives the Philippians a news report. He wants them to know that what has happened to him has not held up the spread of the Christian message at all. In fact, the gospel is making great progress. Now, this is not the irrational optimism of my mother. This view is not based on wishful thinking at all. Paul bases his news report on facts. First of all, Paul declares that some surprising people have had the chance to hear about Jesus. Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. That's right. Paul has been preaching in prison. The palace guard must have thought they had Paul captive, but Paul saw that he had a captive audience. They are chained to him just as much as he is chained to them. They have to watch him round the clock. What better opportunity to speak about Jesus than when your audience cannot make excuses and just shuffle off to do something else? And this is a very unreached people group. There were still relatively few missionaries at the time and none of them had marched up to the Roman guard and started speaking to them for obvious reasons. So Paul takes great delight in this opportunity that has come precisely because of his suffering. But there is more. At the same time as Paul is preaching in prison, more gospel work is going on outside the jail as well. Paul continues, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It appears that news has got around that Paul is in prison and the adversity has stirred other local churches into action. Indeed, men and women have stood up and taken on some of Paul's responsibilities in his absence. 
It's funny, isn't it? In church, we're so used to certain people performing certain roles that we don't even think about the fact that we could be doing them ourselves. It's only when that person is ill or goes away that we take our turn. We'd be so much stronger if we all took turns or all served at the same time, but it rarely happens like that. Paul here is completely out of action. The local church is having to carry on without him. And Paul is delighted that other believers are stepping up to teach, preach and evangelise. He knows that the more people who get experience and use their gifts, the wider the gospel is going to go in the long run. So even though Paul is in chains, he gives thanks to God that other believers have been stirred into action precisely because of what has happened to him. It is fair to say that one of the key reasons that Paul is able to get such perspective on life in such trying circumstances is the humility he has about his own role. This becomes very clear in the next few verses, verses 15 to 19. Paul has just celebrated those believers who have stepped up to the plate in his absence. But it seems that others have joined the ministry for less positive reasons. They've seen Paul taken into prison and thought to themselves, this is it. This is my opportunity to make a name for myself. There is space at last for a new super preacher in town. Soon people will love me just as much as they love Paul. Who knows, if he dies, they may look to me for leadership. Sadly, even the church and the work of the gospel is not spared the arrogance of the human ego. But as Paul reports this uprising of vanity amongst the church to his Philippian friends, even here he finds reason to give thanks. They might be doing it for completely the wrong reasons, but what does it matter? The name of Jesus is becoming known in the city. Paul does not care one jot that these imposters are trying to replace him, writing him off as dead while he even lives. All he cares about is people coming to know Jesus and believing in him as their Lord and Saviour. What humility Paul demonstrates here. What perspective. When we're going through times of trial, one of the wisest things we can do is step back for a moment and look for the areas where God's work is still progressing. To take the time to count our blessings and give thanks. The Bible teaches us that God is always present, is all-knowing and is all-powerful. He is never taken by surprise when bad things happen to his people and he always maintains the power to turn those challenges into opportunities for good. As Paul mentions in verse 19, the Holy Spirit remains at work at all times. As long as God's people are praying, those prayers are being answered. Progress is always being made somewhere as God continues to drive his world on to the glorious completion he has in store. So as the church continues to decline in the West, let us rejoice in the progress it is making in the East and the South. It is exploding in number in China, the subcontinent and South America. Despite what we see here, the worldwide church is growing rapidly. 
As we struggle as a local church through this pandemic, let us rejoice in the progress we've seen over the last 12 months. In the summer, Izzy and Ella are getting baptised. We have buildings now fit for service for many years ahead. Many of us have grown in our prayer lives and with Zoom and a new music group, we have more skills to use in the future. I do not know what progress you will have seen as individuals, but I guarantee there will be some somewhere. Why not go home this morning and look for these things, giving thanks to God as you find them? Seeing God's progress in our lives and his world will help us keep perspective as challenges continue to come our way. So stepping back and looking for progress is the first way Paul demonstrates that we can keep perspective in life. But there is more wisdom to be gained from this passage. The second piece of advice is that when we're going through a time of trial, we should fight to remember our purpose. As Christians, we believe that every single life has value. No one should ever be written off. For as long as we are still breathing, God has a purpose for us. This is important because as counsellors will tell you, one of the most destructive things that can happen to a human being is losing your sense of purpose. In verse 20, Paul shows the Philippians that even amongst the pain of prison, he is very clear on what his purpose is. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Let's think about those words for a moment. Paul knows that his trial could go either way, immediate release or instant execution. But he has a clear goal that still stands in either option. He wants Jesus to be glorified through his words and actions. If Paul is executed, he wants to die in such a way that his martyrdom is a witness to his executioners and all that come to hear of it. He wants everyone to know of the hope he has for life beyond the grave and how that hope enabled him to meet death with confidence. If Paul is allowed to live, he will continue to preach the gospel that gives him that hope by evangelising to the guards and supporting the churches he set up. Can you see, come what may, Paul knows what his purpose is. He knows what he is aiming for. He knows what he is to give his life to. And of course, he wants all the readers of this letter to know the same. Our purpose, day by day, moment by moment, is to exalt Christ in our body, by our words and our actions, to every person we come across and in every situation we find ourselves in. When we keep hold of this purpose, it gives us a reason to get up every morning and to pick ourselves up every time we get knocked down. This purpose will help us keep perspective when the world seems to be caving in. So in a time of trial, we must continue to look for areas of progress and remember our purpose. 
but there is one final piece of advice from this passage still to come. It comes in the very next verse, and it is to live our life with a resurrection philosophy. If you force me to give you my favourite verse in the Bible, out of all the wonderful scriptures, this is what I would share with you. Philippians 1 verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul has such perspective, even in his prison cell, even in chains, even while suffering, he can say, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is not the empty rhetoric of someone who has lived a carefree life. This is the driving philosophy of a man who had seemingly lost everything when he chose to follow Christ. Before Paul was converted, he had status, power, reputation and freedom. Now he lay in prison with a possible death sentence over his head. This is not what the world would deem a success. But when Paul met the risen Jesus in that dramatic incident on the Damascus Road, he discovered that God had given him a glorious new life. Because Christ had died to forgive his sin and risen again to defeat death, Paul was now the recipient of eternity. So as Paul languished in prison, he thought to himself, well, what is the worst that can happen here? God loves me. Even death cannot destroy my relationship with him. In fact, it will just fulfil it. Through death, I will see my saviour face to face and I'll be full of peace and joy forevermore. Paul's philosophy on life is so strong, he actually finds himself in a bit of a predicament. In verses 22 to 26, we find that he does not know what the better outcome will be, death or life. In verse 23, he literally says that he is torn between the two. If Paul is allowed to live his trial, he'll be able to continue his ministry and support his beloved friends in churches such as the one at Philippi. If Paul is sentenced to death, he gets to be with Christ, which is the best outcome by far. Paul's faith in the resurrection is so strong, he really has to wrestle with this. In the end, knowing how much the Philippians need his support, he comes to believe that he will be released and get to see them again. What we see then in these verses is the power of the gospel, how its great truth can hold us even in the most tragic of times. The resurrection of Jesus, which we celebrated at Easter just two weeks ago, changes everything. Because death is defeated, because the greatest enemy of humankind is defeated, even our greatest anxieties can be put in their place. When we live with a gospel philosophy, a resurrection philosophy, there is always something to hope for. Other than this pandemic, I do not know what struggles you are all going through this time. I don't know what anxieties are keeping you awake at night and draining your confidence. But I know that as Christians, we will all face difficulty at times. The Bible promises nothing else. We live in a challenging world. But the Bible does give us the wisdom we need to carry on. In this passage, we have learned that we are to keep perspective. 
Can I encourage us all, myself included, to begin to do this by asking ourselves three simple questions. When I struggle, what is God up to? Where can I still see progress being made? Because God is saving the world through Christ and nothing will stop him. While I struggle, what is my purpose? Why am I still here? Because even in our difficulty, there will be an opportunity to exalt Christ. And even if my struggle ends up with the worst of outcomes and I die, what happens then? Well, I get to be with Christ and enjoy him forever. If we can keep this pragmatic perspective, we will be able to keep going, no matter what challenges come our way.